everybody. Welcome back in to part two of our kind of two-part series of episodes this week. We're going to dive on into Indian Wells. The, all the tennis action at Indian Wells started yesterday. We are recording this now and a couple matches are already being played right now, but we'll, we'll sort of dive on into some of our picks for the week, a couple of really good matchups that we like to see on both the men's and the women's side are getting the bump picks and then we'll sort of end the episode with an interview with Johnny Levine, who is the founder of the Arizona Tennis Classic, which is a challenger tour tournament that happens during the second week of Indian Wells. So I think it's pretty good timing for our chat with Johnny. So I hope you guys kind of enjoy enjoy the rest of the episode. But Keith, let's dive on in right into Indian Wells. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what Indian Wells is for those who maybe don't know sort of the kind of the tier and, and the levels of tennis? Yeah, I'm. They touched on this a little bit in uh, Breakpoint, which actually, Fred, I don't know if you saw, they just renewed for a second season, which is awesome. Uh, great, great news for tennis right there. But uh, the how tennis tournaments work is they're based on a point system. So your grand slams are worth your most amount of points, and it's all based on money. So the points, the higher the point total, which means the higher the purse. So your grand slams, your winners are going to win two thousand. Um, you're gonna win 2000 points, which there's four of them, as we know. And then you have the masters 1000s, which is the next level below that. These are your premier, premier events that happen throughout the year. This is the first one we get this year at Indian Wells. And it tends to be everybody's favorite in terms of viewership and in terms of the players, the players will love this. Uh, Indian Wells located in the deserts of California, kind of out there in the middle of nowhere, but everybody who goes loves it. Uh, you have the men and women playing at the same time at a great, great event, and it always brings great draws. It always brings great tournaments. And so this is the top tier, uh, probably the second biggest tournament you'll get at this point of the season. Obviously, the Australian being the biggest. And uh, it starts a Sunshine Double, which completes it with Miami in a couple weeks, which is another Masters 1000s. But this week we have a very fun event in Indian Wells. And I'm very much looking forward to the tennis that's already started. It's already been off to a bang with some good matches last night. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. These tournaments have almost as much of a grand slam feel as the grand slams do. And sort of the only difference really is the fact that the point total is just less for the winner and the money's a little less for the winner, but a lot of the hype around the tournament and the draws that you get and the crowds and the venues at most of these masters, 1000s is they're phenomenal. And so I, you hear a lot of the players almost joking like, man, and we should add a couple more slams. I mean, it, 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 it determines legacies too a little bit, like with the, especially with everybody talking about the goat debates between Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and since they're all so close in Grand Slams, people are using these events as like the kind of the tiebreaker. All those three of those guys have good records against each other for the most part, but they're going. Djokovic has got more of this, and Nadal's got more of that, and it's 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 just a fun event to have, and it's so cool that it gets that America gets that little bit of spotlight for these two events really uh, at early parts of the season. Um, and it's a shame that Djokovic can't show up, uh, and we can talk about that another time, but that's on him a little bit with his vaccine status and, and all that. But uh, we still have some great, great tennis going on, and we still have some great guys on the men's and women's side because the women's field is stacked currently, Fred. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, on the women's side, it seems like all the big names are playing, yep. um, which, is, which is great to see because obviously between – Australian Open and now there's just so many of those different tournaments that we've been covering on the podcast for the last couple of weeks that are the varying levels and in different parts of the world and on different surfaces and some are indoors and some are outdoors 
And so all the all the best players are a little bit spread out um, throughout the world. But now everybody's back in one place and 128 draw really makes it interesting because anything can kind of happen. Like when I think about man, OK, who am I going to pick to maybe win this event? I don't know. There's like seven or eight names that jump out at me and it just depends who might catch fire. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I I mean, for the women's side, I'm always going to stick with her because I think that she's not talked about. She's the best female player in the world, and, and that is Iga Swantek. Uh, she is so talented, so good all the time. She's coming off great runs in the Middle East, uh, winning, what was it, two tournaments and losing the third in the final where she dropped like a total of four games, <laughs> the four, uh, two sets in, in all three of those tournaments. So I'm picking Iga Swantek to win that tournament. I will say called a surprise run or not i think this could be a little bit of a breakout for madison keys who's just been kind of in the background a little bit of 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 women's tennis and if she gets hot she can just blow the doors off of anybody in the game so i keep an eye out for madison keys that's my little surprise pick going into this event for the women's side okay yeah i think on the women's side i i was wasn't going to pick keys to win it but i'm glad you mentioned her because i, I really think there's going to be an american that makes a run just with the home crowd and something about these tournaments that are always on American soil. You just always see one of these women make a run somehow. Um, I, I mean, keys is one that I'm looking at. Goff is another one that I think could make a run. Pagula is the three seed. It's just, there's, there's a plethora of American women who who really could make a run. Sloan Stevens and, and Kennan play each other in the first round. Kennan's like 400 in the world. They gave her a wild card in. What happened? Yeah, I, I don't know. That that could be a whole episode just on what happened to Kennan. <laughs> it could. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Some of the Americans really jump out at me, but I think my pick to win it on the women's side is going to be Rybikinia. Oh. Yeah, she's seated 10th, but I really like the pocket of her draw. She's got Bedosa in there. Kasakina's is the eighth seed. So that's kind of who she has to get through to make that quarterfinal run. And then once you get that far in a draw, anything can kind of happen. And Cole obviously can't be with us for this episode, but we want to make sure we get his picks in for everybody out there. Cole is taking Maria Sakari to win the women's draw out in Indian Wells. Had success here. Finalist last year. If anybody watched Breakpoint, uh, her coach stood up and clapped, changed the entire momentum of the match. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a solid pick by, uh, by Coley boy. Yeah. Well, let's men's side. Yeah. Men's side. Go ahead. You start. Yeah. Men's side. It's a stacked, it's a stacked field. I don't care if Djokovic is not there. I know he's arguably the best player in the world, but Alcaraz is here. Sitsi Pats is here. Medvedev off of two consecutive wins looking kind of like the player of old, uh, all those guys are there, and if Alcaraz is healthy, I think he's the best player. But I'm going to go a little bit of surprise here, and this could go poorly. This could go really well. I think Zverev finally breaks through somewhere. He's been looking better. He's got the game to kind of play out here, and I could see Alexander Zverev making a little bit of run here at Indian Wells. It's a bold pick because he could easily lose in the second or third round because uh, he's coming off a bad injury. But I think he's starting around in form, and I think when he's in form, he can beat anybody as well. Man, that is a bold pick. I know. That is a really bold pick. But I'm I'm really excited to watch Alcaraz and Medvedev. And again, like we said, similar to the women's side, a lot of these guys have been playing the last couple of weeks, but they've all been in different parts of the world. And it's just so awesome when we get these big events to get the big names 
all in the same draw. And it just, there's a different energy about it. Like I'm, I've got one of the matches on right now. It's like, it's just so fun to watch these guys compete at Indian Wells. But my pick, I'm going American. Ooh. Going with your guy, Big Foe, DMV. Foe? I think Francis is, I, I don't know. I think Francis has been playing some good ball. And I don't know. I think Fritz obviously took home the title last year. I think we're going to go back-to-back years with an American winning. I, I think he, for whatever reason, I really like his chances every time he plays Sitsipas. He's had a lot of success against Sitsipas. And that's that's who's in his little quarter right there. And if he can get through Stefanos in that third match, I, I really think he can make a deep run. I, I have no problem with that pick. I think the fun thing for this tournament is also, Fred, is we got two getting the bump guys here. Uh, your boy, Yuri Lehechka, winning his first round match pretty handily over Arthur Rinder next, my memories, uh, which is that name just hurts my throat saying it. Um, <laughs> um, winning a good first round match, setting up a second round against Rublev, uh, which should be kind of fireworking and a lot of fun. Uh, my guy, Alexi Popperin, actually losing in the last round of qualifiers, forcing a third set and getting in as a, as a lucky loser. Uh, for those who don't know, a lucky loser is somebody who loses in the last round of qualifiers. Obviously, somebody pulls out due to injury. If you stick around the tournament, you can get in and play in the first round. Uh, so that's what we're looking here for, for Alexi Popperin, which is big for him. And he's actually got a pretty favorable first round match against Zhang, uh, the Chinese tennis player. They're both ranked roughly the same in the world, right around 95 to 100. Uh, I think Alexi could win that. Will he win his next match? I hope. I would like for him to make a run somewhere. He's got the game to do it. Uh, that's That could be fun. Uh, it could be fun to have this. Uh, I mean, Fred, anybody you think kind of surprise? I mean, you picked you picked Foe. So is that your pick to win the tournament? That's your surprise guy to win it? Yeah, I really think he, he's going to make a run. That's kind of my bold pick. I think me and you both <laughs> had bold picks. Cole just sent me his pick. He is picking Medvedev to win a fourth tournament in a row. It's fair. I think my bold pick, if you want to call it a bold pick is I think, I think Jack Draper makes a big run here. Uh, It's weirdly enough, even though it's in the California desert, it doesn't get overly hot there. And it seems that the biggest thing hurting Jack Draper every year or every week is that he really struggles with severe heat. Like it's not that he doesn't work hard enough. He just, he's passed out once before at Miami. If you remember that he's severely cramped up at the Australian open after playing great, he just has trouble with heat. So he's got a big game. So the heat should help him. And I just think that with the conditions and not being overly hot there, I think he's got a chance to make a run. Yeah, I agree. I think the conditions out there are are perfect. I mean, weather wise, the venue, like there's never really any rain out there. It's just, there's, there's this tournament's great. Uh, Cole is so lucky that he got to see that. What's like the biggest cliche? It's it's a dry heat out there, so it's not a big deal. It's it's no it's no DC swamp heat, right? It's no, it's not, it's none of that. So I think that's why it's perfect all the time. Yeah. So it's it's going to be a great tournament. Tune in. So many good matches. We already saw last night with Wu and Munar. Uh, Munar breaking my my theory that if you have two names as a Spaniard, you're very good. We got to find a third name for him somewhere because he's like 50th in the world. Uh, but great match with a lot of drama. Match point had some drama going in. Watch the highlights for that if you didn't get a chance to. Uh, it's Indian Wells is a great time, and it's it, again when you have the Australian Open that kicks off the season, you kind of go in a little bit of a lull, and then Indian Wells just brings you back as a tennis fan. It just really brings you back. Yeah, now there's going to be a huge, huge string of tournaments coming up, and 
obviously, next week with the Arizona Tennis Classic. You can watch all those matches free on the Challenger website. Which is <laughs> yeah, really I'm, I'm, cool. I think not a lot of people know that because to watch a lot of these tournaments, you need Tennis Channel or maybe you got to pay for a tennis TV subscription or mm-hmm. anything like that. But every single Challenger is televised right on the Challenger website for free. Yeah, um, we were talking earlier, Fred and I were just discussing off air about the one thing that makes tennis so cool is when you go to an event, you have you have immediate access to players. Unlike a golf event where you go to and you're either sitting in the stands and you're watching a guy hit, you're watching a foursome hit four drives, and then you're waiting for the next foursome up, they hit four drives, and you repeat that for eight hours and just get hammered. Or you're following a guy around for 18 holes walking 15 miles. Unlike that, tennis, you have access to them right away you're you're where your seats are you're watching the best players in the world and if you're really looking at access uh, any wells has it of course but there's no better place than a challenger event um challenge this is um the challenger events kind of the best way i can describe it like the triple a of of tennis there's major league baseball obviously which is where you're going to have your atp 250s 500s 1000s which is what indian wells is we talked about and then there's the triple a which is the challenger events you still get guys ranked inside the top 200 almost at every one of these events and especially this one uh the beauty of this challenge of this challenger is it's one of i believe three and john will talk about this in our interview and i implore all of you to stick around listen to this interview john was incredible during it really funny and really knowledgeable about the game uh, this challenger is one of three that's worth 175 points. So a very high point total for a challenger event, uh, which means the prize money is good, which means the, the turnout's good. Berrettini is played here. Casper Rude is played here. Lorenzo Massetti is played here. They get a lot of guys that surprisingly may lose early at Indian Wells and just travel down the road to, to Phoenix and Scotts, uh, Scottsdale area and play there. I believe it's at a Scotts Phoenix country club. Yeah, yeah. I believe it's, I believe it's there. Um, next next Monday uh, through the following week, and you get unlimited access to these guys where you can watch them from three feet away. It's awesome, awesome tennis. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to everybody getting to listen to this episode um, with, with John. The interview was awesome, like you said. So we'll dive on in. Thanks, everybody, and we'll, we'll see you next week. Watching tennis. I mean, I, I, I want our viewers, to, our viewers that are now listening, we, I guess we can get this thing started. Uh, yeah. As John Levine, uh, right here, everybody joining us on No Man's Land, uh, a former tour player, three-time challenger champion at uh, Mexico, Japan, and Indonesia. If anybody's watching uh, The Last of Us right now, we, he's got some, uh, got some hook up there with Indonesia into that show. I don't know if you're watching that. Um, and uh, current uh, director and founder of the Arizona Tennis Classic, which will be hosted March 13th through the 19th, I believe, a Challenger 175, one of three events that have that, and recent Hall of Fame inductee uh, as of July, I believe, in uh, University of Texas for uh, for his career in tennis. Uh, thanks for joining us, John. Uh, I guess right off the bat, uh, we were talking about your relationship with Matt's, but I'm curious, how did it feel getting into the University of Texas with uh, the Hall of Fame with Kevin Durant next to you? That had to be kind of a, a surreal experience a little bit. Well, yeah, it was, it was, um, I mean, I have to say it was probably the highlight of my, well, it was the culmination of my career to be able to get into that because that's not an easy thing to do when with Texas sports, you know, having all the great baseball, basketball, track, swimming, football. And so tennis kind of sometimes is an afterthought, but, um, nevertheless, um, you know, I, 
treasure that honor because um, my time at UT was really special and it was a great time in my life. And, uh, you know, I have uh, quite a bond to that school and to the, to the coach that, that, that my coach and a lot of the players are very good friends. So it was just um, an amazing weekend. My family came, I had a lot of friends there and, you know, obviously we were all excited. The other inductees, there were like, there was a total of 11 and, they all said that, uh, you know, Ke Kevin Durant really made it for them because everyone was was just in awe of the whole thing to be, you know, alongside him. And he was really fantastic there. And Sam Ocho, football player, who's an ESPN analyst, oh, yeah. was amazing to be to be there. And, you know, we got photos and different things. But, you know, they just did a really nice job over the weekend and the presentation was great. And they did a Q&A with all the athletes and it was, um, you know, then we were on the football field and, and, um, it was just insane. It was really a surreal experience for me. And, and, uh, one of the greatest weekends of my life for sure. I think it's an incredible class. When you look at the fact that I didn't even know Sam, Samuel Acho was, was in that class. Like that's how buried that lead was with how, with, with the quality of that class and the quality of Texas. Uh, I mean, your, your college career is incredible. I mean, I think 83 and 84, if my memory is correct, you guys were number one in doubles in, in the country, if that's correct, if I have my dates right. Uh, we just were on the podcast with a uh, gentleman, uh, Pat Harper, who just won uh, the indoor championships for doubles. What was it like being in that college zone at that time? Like, how did it feel? How the ball look when you guys got to number one in the country? Well, actually, um, you know, our team was really good. Uh, we were top 10 in the country. When I came in with another junior player that I was very close with, Tom Fontana, we were both top 10, top 15 in the juniors. Top, He was top 15. I was like four. And so it was a pretty good recruiting class. And then most of the guys were from Texas. So we came in. He was from New Jersey, kind of a sassy guy. So he kind of shook things up a little bit. They enjoyed it. Um, there's no, there's no way Tom Fantana wasn't like a detective in in, in Brooklyn after this. Sounds it was a like, name it, right? like that. There's no yeah. way he wasn't. <laughs> he was, he was, he was a legend there. So, um, in a lot of ways, but no, I mean, we, we, we actually weren't, we, we weren't number one in doubles, but we, I was, you know, I got to number two in the country in singles my junior year. So I had a pretty good run for three years, and then I turned pro. But, um, you know, me and Tom played played doubles, you know, while we were there and we did really well, but just, you know, there were a lot of guys, you know, when you were highly ranked in the juniors, you know, obviously college was the next step. And so, you know, when we chose Texas, I was picking between Texas and UCLA. And uh, there were a couple guys that I grew up with in Phoenix that there was a great junior program and two older guys, one went to Texas, one went to UCLA on scholarship. So those were kind of the footsteps I wanted to follow. And when I went and visited UT, um, you know, it was just a real family atmosphere. And I, I really fell in love with that, uh, the way they treated, you know, each other and the coach and the program had an opportunity to play high right out of the gate. So that was important to me too, to be able to qualify for NCAAs. But, you know, the ultimate goal was to, to play on the tour. And so, you know, I was not really in tune with this, the academics too much. I was just like, <laughs> like, when, when can I get out on the tour? And, you know, I had a really good run my junior year. And actually that my, my junior year, I had taken the fall semester off and, and I had done really well at the U S open. I got to the third round. So I actually almost yeah. turned pro, but 
I didn't do well as an amateur playing pro in the fall. So I came back and knew that that was going to be my last semester. But, but, you know, I think the, you know, the college is just a great stepping stone to the, to the pros, but I think if you have the ability and, um, you need to get out on the tour as quick as possible, I think, because you've got a lot of Europeans and foreign guys that are out there at 16 years old, gaining that valuable experience. So I just think it's so tough to make it though, that ultimately, unless you're, you know, a guy like, you know, we've seen it, Tommy, Paul, Riley, Opelka, Corda, you know, look, these guys, they needed to get on the tour because they knew they had the talent. But if you're not quite there with the talent and the level, you got to go to college because the chances of making it are just so difficult. You, I think it's important to have that team atmosphere and the socialness of college, the growth, the maturity. And then, um, you know, you can go, you can try it later on, like an Isner who went four years because the college, you never get back. It's just a, it's an important part of, of, a, of a young adult's life. And I think it's, you got to really, that's a tough decision. Yeah. I think go ahead, buddy. like, I don't know. It's like talking about, obviously I'm, I'm involved in college tennis and hearing you talk about it. It's just, it's, it's such a great experience. Kind of want to hear your thoughts on like, what do you think has changed since when you were playing compared to now? Cause obviously the game, the college game is uh, changed a lot in my opinion. Like there's, I think I just read a stat two thirds of college tennis is international student athletes. Mm-hmm. Only one third is, is American, um, which is just shocking. And I'm sure that number is a little bit different than from when you were playing. Um, but I think, yeah, just curious what your thoughts are on how everything's changed in terms of that and, and even just the way the game is played. Yeah. Um, well, obviously the level of tennis keeps getting better and better and the depth is off the charts in tennis. I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like it. Um, so, you know, having said that, you know, the international situation, you know, when I played, we had one from Mexico, one from a couple from South Africa. I think it was a bit limited. I am a little biased. I like to see the Americans have opportunities. Um, I don't like to see a Baylor tennis team with, with the whole team being foreign guys winning the NCAs. That's just not, I don't, it is what it is, but I'm not a proponent of that um, because I'm American and I want to see us kids have those opportunities. And, and, and I think there should be some sort of cap on it. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that disagree with that, but, and I don't know what your team is, Freddie. So it's just the way I feel. Um, yeah, I'm 19, uh, 19 out of my 20 on both teams are American. So I've only got one. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Fred, Fred makes up the, the one third by himself of, uh, yeah. of, of colleges that, uh, yeah. <laughs> are American yeah. players. <laughs> you know, so, um, I am a big USA guy. Um, and I just, I liked those opportunities for those kids. I think that the international, it's great, the competition, but I just, you know, it's just kind of the ilk that I came from. Um, there's always been foreign guys, but it's never been like, like I said, like a Baylor team where the, every guy is, is foreign, you know, that, that to me is excessive, but the, okay. So back to the tennis part, um, you know, I've been out, I've, I, you know, I live here in Phoenix, so I've been to ASU matches, uh, you know, I follow Texas tennis quite well. You know, they have amazing team, they have great coach and, um, they won the NCAs and they, they've had national champions and doubles, I think last year and uh, Spaziri right now is number one in the country. And, um, I just think that, uh, the level as a whole 
has just continued to to get better and better. And so, you know, guys that like are were 500 in the world when I was playing, you know, really was, you know, kind of way out there. A guy 500 now is, is an incredible tennis player. I mean, I'm not that they weren't before, but it's just, they're so, they're just better, better physically, better mentally, there's better equipment. So the game just advances like all sports, I think. And, and um, I'm just, just completely blown away by how good guys are now. Um, I know uh, you had quite a college career, uh, but I want to transition a little bit to your pro career. Um, I know your uh, your highest ranking in singles was around 100 and uh, doubles was around 40. Um, did you find that uh, transition from college and adapting to tour life uh, difficult or did you just take it in stride? And and how was your mental uh mental uh, process going in and sort of knowing that you had to do it on your own. You had to win for yourself. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, tennis, you know, is a very independent sport. And so uh, you're out there on your own, even if you have a team, you're still out there on your own. So the independent piece, uh, you know, being out on your own, yeah. On the tour, um, they didn't have all these teams of guys around, you know, um, you know, to support you like they do today um, it was very expensive too. And the money was, was much different, but uh, that's not to say I didn't have a coach and sometimes they travel with me, but I just think that as you advance to each level, you know, everything is better and better. And so any sort of hole in your game is going to get exposed at the highest levels. And so for me, you know, I won a ton in juniors and I won a ton in college and so I put a lot of expectations on myself uh, to do to get to a certain level in the pros, and that put a lot of pressure on me. And 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 so my mental got exposed because that was too much for me to handle. I needed a better way of thinking um, to be able to take the pressure off, to be able to play more freely. So when I so I struggled with that, and at, at different times when I had the pressure off. You know, and and how I got that pressure off is 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 I don't want to get into, but it, it happened, and I had really good results. But um, I think that I you had too high expectations and put too much pressure on myself. Otherwise, I think I would have been had a better career. Um, but I'm I'm still you know it is what it is. How I how how I was was my game, and I learned a lot. And I had habits that were tough to overcome later on, on, on the ways that I, I learned how to handle it better. And, you know, I did really well towards the end of my career, actually in doubles in some big situations. You know, I got to the quarters of the French and the U.S. Open in 88, and I was on my way out of the game. So I was playing a lot more free. And I actually had some pretty good singles results towards the end, too. So, but I was also looking to the future, and I, I didn't want to, stay it in that hundred level. I want, you know, if I wasn't going to get into the top 50, I think I, I felt like I needed to get to the next career. And it's always for an athlete, a different difficult decision to know when to quit. And, um, you know, I just felt it was time and, and, uh, but that level change from college to, to pros is just massive. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of difference. There wasn't a lot of difference. There probably isn't now a guy, a hundred, a guy, 20 or 15. It's a lot of it is becomes upstairs and it's, it's a mental thing. It's how you handle 
the pressure, how you handle the losing week in, week out. There's guys that, you know, win tournaments and then they're thinking about that win for the next five weeks when there's five, five more tournaments. That's yesterday's news. And there's guys that lose and they can't get out of their funk for the next five weeks. I was once told by Brad Gilbert, who I was pretty close with, he said, the beauty about tennis is that every Monday there's a new week and whatever happened in the past is gone. And so that was a great outlook. And, and so I think that that's something that, you know, players need to think about and, and, and put the past, whether you won or whether you lost away, because you got a new fresh start every week. I think Cole needs that advice for his Monday night league that every Monday is a new week for him. He, he gets a loss and we hear about it for the entirety of the week and it doesn't, there's no money on the line there, John. It's just, it's just Cole amongst himself. Um, I, I love the, when you talked about the success you had, cause you also made a very mature decision to leave the game. You were what, like 25, 26 years old at, yep. at that point, at that point in your life. But I'm just curious for like, like when you started to have that initial success being that young, do you remember like, your first big check, like what you did with it. Like, uh, like what was that, what was that moment? Like when you were starting to have that success a little bit. Also, what did a big check look like in the (laughs) eighties? You know, if you got to the third round of the open, when I was playing, it was probably, I think it was about five, $6,000. And, you know, third round now is probably over 200,000. So close. You, you know, guys were just trying to cover their expenses and make some when I was playing. So, um, yeah, I mean, the money is, is so insane right now. It's, you know, especially a guy qualifies for one slam and he's covered everything, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollars now, but it goes quick too. that travel is expensive, you know, and then you got the taxes, but it just takes a lot. And so, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough life too. You know, I mean, people think the glamor of it, but you know, you guys talked about it. It's pretty, you know, you're, you're out there on your own and you're traveling week to week and you're not building that life at home. And, and, and it's kind of a nomadic type of lifestyle and you got to really be the kind of person that can live out of a suitcase and, and handle that kind of stuff. And, and, and so um, it's, it's definitely a unique uh, thing where you're not part of the team, part of a team, you know, I'm, I'm curious, did you, did you watch Breakpoint at all? The, uh, the Netflix documentary? A little bit. I haven't watched a lot of it. I watched a couple of segments um, <clears throat> and just part of it. What did you guys think? I was wondering, I was just wondering, you were saying living out of suitcase, if your hotel room looked like Berrettini's oh and God. Tom Lanovich's, which was like a disaster zone. I was wondering uh, wow. if you travel. <laughs> I don't know how they can play well when you're that disor- disheveled like that. <laughs> that was my point. That was what I was wondering, yeah. too. <laughs> that was insane. I mean, yeah, no, it wasn't like that. That's for sure. <laughs> This would but, make packing harder. It would make packing harder. I mean, you got to go to a new place next Monday or maybe even sooner if you're not making it that far. I just feel like travel would be that much harder if all your stuff's sprayed everywhere. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that one. That was crazy. Yeah, you, you mentioned Brad Gilbert earlier, and it kind of made me think of – I think I read you played in the Maccabi games. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I, how was that? I've got one or two players on my current team who went and played this past summer and a lot of the players at the Edgemore club here in Bethesda have gone mm-hmm. uh, played in the games and just speak so highly of that experience. But I don't know, talk a little bit about what, what that was like. Oh, that was a great experience. I remember the qualifying for it was actually in Philadelphia indoors at a club there. I think they used to play the, the indoor, um, there was a big 
ATP tournament indoors in Philly for years when was I was the on Arthur the tour. Ash? Was it the Arthur Ashe Academy there, I think? Not sure about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know sure that's an that. older facility, so that would make sense. And that's in Philadelphia. Fred, yeah. you went there, I think, recently for a recruit. Did you? Yeah. So anyways, yeah. So, you know, making that was a big thing. And then, um, you know, Brad made it. And then there was a guy, Ricky Meyer, who was from New York that was top 100 player. And then Paul Bernstein, a great player that was from California, played number one at ASU. Uh, Jeff Claparta from UCLA. So we had, we had a really good team. And and uh, it was it was cool to make it. And then when we got over there to Tel Aviv and, you know, they had the opening ceremonies was was you know, an incredible experience. And then playing in the actual event, there were, you know, athletes from all over the world. And, and me and Brad um, had a hellacious match in the semifinals. We played a couple guys that were really good players in our era. And it was like a 12-10 in the third, third set, no tiebreaker in the third set. And then we beat actually Meyer and Bernstein in the finals and they were favored. And, and, and so it was just, it was a really cool, experience something that i'll always remember and uh that was cool you guys were like 18 19 at that time was brad still coaching you around the court was was he was he writing the book in his head during those matches or was he uh or was he still learning the ropes a little bit you know brad was at that time that would have been 81 um so brad might have been a Pepperdine at that time. You know, he played a semester at ASU. That's how I got to know him. I was in the juniors. I'd go out and practice with the ASU team. And he was he only stayed a semester. It was an issue with the coach. And then he went to Foothill Junior College, then ended up at Pepperdine. So we got pretty close, and his brother actually coached me. But, you know, Brad was, was always kind of a coaching kind of figure on the court and um, always thinking, always understanding strategy and and, um, you know, got the most out of his game. And so we actually played doubles once on the, on the tour. Also, we lost in the semis of Cleveland open and we had a match point to go to the finals. I'll never forget that. That wasn't fun, but, um, did, did uh, Brad mess it up? You can, you can say it, Brad. Yeah, I think I might've messed that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's 19, it was 1984. John, just, just throw Brad under the bus. It's fine. Yeah, you, can, you can do it. <laughs> I, I would, but, um, I, I, I never forget. He said, you know, we got a hold here and then we're going to go for Chinese food. We'll be in the finals and we just didn't quite make it, but it was, it was always, you know, we, we did well together and, um, Brad was a good doubles player. Many people wouldn't think so because the serve wasn't great, but, that surprised um, me when you just said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but we, we 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 did well. We we uh we had a couple of good results, but uh my better results actually were with a guy named Eric Carita who um was a, a real close friend and a junior that that I grew up with uh from Chicago and he had the fastest serve in the world at the time. It was a big big ad with him and Prince and and Eric uh, and I had some some fantastic results. So that was, uh, and he's still a really dear friend of mine. He's coming out to the tournament, and um, so those were good good times as well. I was wondering if he was playing with a Prince mono shaft at that time. If you remember, Prince had that ugly single shafted uh, single shafted. Uh, I don't uh, think it was single shafted. It was that first big headed Prince. You know, oh the yeah, the, the the oversize, the Chang, the over the yeah. Chang oversize, yeah, the Chang, yeah. That was the one that that he was one of the first guys to use it. But um, the guy had like a monster serve. Like it was 140, 150 back then. It was crazy. Everyone knew it too. It was with Kevlar too? Kevlar too in the, in the racket probably? I don't know. It was We used gut back then. So whatever that was. Um, 
but that that that's uh, a lot of stuff in the past. Well, a lot of talk, stuff in the past. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the Arizona Tennis Classic coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to try and make it down there for uh, a day or two. It's the second week of Indian Wells, so your right. field is historically pretty strong. Uh, I saw Berrettini won it last year, or not last year, the first year. Yep. And then uh, we've had Dennis Kudla actually on our podcast before. Oh, have you? You won it uh, last year, and you won the doubles as well. So you definitely yeah. got some good names. I was looking at oh, the yeah. I was looking at the acceptance list, and Rusevori is ranked forty eight, and he's already on the uh, entry list. So it's good. It's a good field. Yeah, we're gonna have a really strong field. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we've had um, in two thousand nineteen was the first year we did it, and uh, the um, the guy that we did it with. Um, or I'm sorry, one of the players that played in the tournament was Casper Rude. People don't even realize yep. that. He lost in the third round. The field was tremendous. We had David Goffin and lots of great players. And then we were going to do it in 2020, and, and then we got shut down you know, with COVID. It was like one of the first tournaments right after Indian Wells. Um, and then we did not do it in uh, 2021, and then we came back with it in 22. The reason that I had always wanted to try to put a tournament here was because um, there wasn't pro tennis. I mean, there was a ATP 250 in Scottsdale at the last year that they had, it was like probably mid 2000, I think it was around 2006, 2007. So I had this idea to try to bring it back. And I, you know, obviously I could have done a smaller challenger, but I really felt like March was a great month in, in Arizona. There's quite a buzz in town. There's a lot of events, a lot of things going on. The weather's typically good. Um, spring training, you come off the golf, you've got the Barrett Jackson, you've got just so much going on that I thought that the tennis would be another added great component. And it's just really hard to get it off the ground. We wanted to get the tournament and uh, between Indian Wells and it was run in Dallas for five years and they were kind of struggling. The weather wasn't great. They were struggling with some sponsors. So I'd reached out to the ATP and they, they, um, they said that they have the first right to renew it. So when they don't, we'll call you. And they did. And we put it together pretty quickly. And, you know, my, my company and business helped me out a lot with the infrastructure and I have a couple consultants that had owned tennis tournaments. Uh, one guy, Miguel Nito, who played on the tour with me, college juniors, a very dear friend from way back has really consulted and helped me. We have a great tournament director who used to be a tour manager for 30 years from Florida, Weller Evans. So we have a great team, uh, great volunteers. And um, we reached out to the Phoenix country club and they were very very warm to the idea of it and they have loved having the tournament and it's just been fantastic i mean the community likes it we don't do it for profit we do it for the community and for the phoenix children's hospital we're a nonprofit, yep. 501c3 and uh it's it's been it's been a lot of work but it's it's been a lot of fun and uh the field that we get is insane last year's initial cutoff was 77 um, and so, you know, we don't get as many Americans as I'd like just because the Americans after Indian Wells have an opportunity to go back home to, to train before Miami's, whereas the Europeans and the foreigners, they're, they want more, more opportunity for points, more money, and they want a place to stay. So they come to Phoenix and, you know, I'm expecting this year to have a slew of guys in the top 50 and maybe even a few in the top 40, um, 
So it's, it's going to be tremendous and we're super excited. We've got a fantastic sponsor base. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're looking forward to having you come out, Cole. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's media, we're getting media credentials there, John. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get him a media credential for yeah. having the podcast. Um, I mean, I, I think, uh, the average tennis fan, uh, knows how much of a tennis mecca Arizona really is. I think the two tennis meccas really in the United States are are Orlando with the USD National campus and all that kind of stuff and Arizona. Anybody who plays USTA knows that you do nationals every other year at Arizona out there. We do nationals for for different levels and it's so cool to watch an event get held out there, especially the quality. You guys are pulling like almost 500 like you know ATP 500 level caliber players into an event that's a challenger 175. And I think we touched, I think you guys are one of three. I've done my research that it's, it's yeah. right after. Cause it's, it's like a layover from Indian Wells, Rome, and then Madrid, I believe are the other two. And um, right. the quality of tennis there. I mean, just touch on it. It is a former player. What is it like watching those guys? Well, Do you get to enjoy it. The thing about the, where we play it at the Phoenix country club is that it's a very intimate setting. So you're right up on the court. You know, you get to these big stadiums and you're set far back on this one. You're right there. And we typically will get some guys that are a little older that might be on their way out, but they want, you know, they still have a pretty good ranking. Then they've been maybe top 10. Like we had three guys that were top 10 last year that um, that played in the event. And um, and and so we get feel that that's similar to that. But then we also get new and young guys that are coming up. For instance, you know, we had J.J. Wolf uh, was a semifinalist and he goes on to be, um, you know, he's in the top 50 right now. So yeah. we get kind of both both sides of it. We get the young guys. We get sometimes the older guys. Um, we might even be able to get someone who loses early in Indian Wells that's a top guy that wants more matches for whatever reason. And we can we have three wild cards. So we typically hold those out and um, wait to see who might ask for a wild card or want more matches. And that's how we got Goffin at 21 in 2019. So, you know, last year we also had, you know, we had Eubanks and we had Nakashima and, um, you know, obviously, had, you know, Wolf and we had Kudla um, as, as Americans. And it's a tough tournament for the Americans to get into. So, um, you know, we try to see what we can do to help the Americans. We're going to give a wild card in the qualifying this year to Nathan Ponwith who's a Phoenix guy, boy, and he is uh, 480 in the world or right around there, just won a futures tournament, beats Fida. So um, he's excited to, to play, and hopefully he'll be able to do some some good here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I love Casper uh, Root is my favorite player on tour right now. Yeah, yeah, um, so that's great. I love, I love knowing that he uh, – he he played this one early. We uh we've had Zizou Bergs on our podcast before. Okay, nice. The Belgian um, he's sort of an up and coming guy. He's like right right around one twenty. I know that he's in the uh the acceptance list as well. Um, Is he? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's it'll be it's it's kind of cool for us because we are, you know, we're new. We're sort of up and coming. We like to say, and uh, yeah, you know, we we love tennis. We're passionate about it. So when somebody gives us the time and we speak to them and we're just like you're doing now. It's we, we really appreciate it. And, and then being able to actually go see those players that you spoke, we speak to and seeing you like in the setting of the arena, essentially mm -hmm. 
it's a real thrill for us. It's, it's really, it's really, it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited. Well, you guys are, uh, it's great to see how much passion you guys all have for the game and, uh, that you guys have stayed connected all these years. It seems like you guys have a cool bond and friendship and, uh, and, and tennis has been, been kind of the connector. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. No, we appreciate it. And, and John, I just had uh, kind of one last thing to, uh, to touch on real quickly. And I, uh, and then we can, we can leave it at that. You talk about everything that's going on in Arizona. You guys had the Super Bowl there. You got, you were talking about the waste management. You and Cole are discussing if you guys went, we've been discussing what makes the waste management so much fun is it's fan accessibility mm-hmm. and it's ability to get a little raucous. As a tournament yeah. director, we're curious. Do you think there's ever an opportunity for tennis to kind of get that atmosphere in a tournament that the waste management seems to have capitalized on? I would love to see it. Um, <clears throat> you got to have the right venue for it. We're a little constrained at, at, at you know a fee- at a country club. Yes, to be able to do <laughs> stuff like that. So <laughs> no, we have to. We, yeah, we have to, be- to toe the line on that. I mean, if, if we were at a different venue, we might be able to you know get some music involved more, more live music and different things and a different type of setting i can kind of visualize how that could go down but that, and that would be fantastic i think that's what people want right they want to socialize they want to have get a little raucous i mean kind of like the old davis cup used to be was was yeah. was a lot of fun it's great to get fan it's all about the fans they're paying to to you know to for, for the player salaries right and so they are a huge component you got to make them happy you got to get them engaged social media you know, social events. Um, it, it's a big thing. And, you know, we have a DJ out there. We have a great VIP for those sponsors and there's a great area for the, for the public for, you know, to, to, that they can get food, you know, hot dogs, hamburgers grilled. And there's a nice couple bars as far as getting it, you know, a little more lively, you know, we, we would love to see that. And we talk about how we can do that. It's just balancing where you have a golf course right next to you, you know, with members, so that's a little bit of our uh, our tackle, you know, that we have to deal with. You guys are a little more constrained because you can't have like a Bushwood scene from uh, from Caddyshack where you're blowing no. up the golf course around <laughs> you. Um, I just think, I mean, it, that accessibility is is what's missing in the game. And I love that, that. That's what I think is so cool about the Challenger events that you guys run that so many people that may not know about is that you have that accessibility more at these events than you yeah. ever will at any other event. And uh, kudos to you. Uh, congratulations on all your success. I just want to say anybody who is in the Arizona, California area, go check out uh, the Arizona Tennis Classic. Like I said, it's uh, March 13th through the 19th. It's a great event. It's got high quality players. You have so much access to them. Uh, check out John on his own podcast on occasion. We talked about it with Matt's Vlander called Kick Serve. And um, John, we really appreciate having you on and uh, talking about your love for the game. It was This was a blast. It was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Good luck with your podcast, and good luck with with all your careers. Thanks, John.